You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. So we celebrate baptism with joy. The reason we can do that is because there has been a suffering that has taken place that has ended in a resurrection, which we'll see next week. But before that, there is a terrible amount of pain and sorrow that our Lord went through. And to understand what this is like, we need to see the reality of what Jesus went through because it helps us to understand his love for us. And so we are here in this chapter of the story on the hour of darkness, the hour of darkness. And this is the sign of Jesus' last week of life that the darkness to him, the darkness of evil, is going to get ever stronger and continue to work its way until Jesus is beaten and is crucified and is laid into a tomb. Jesus understood this and Jesus knew this. In fact, Jesus talked about his baptism And it wasn't a water baptism like we saw, but it's what he went through so that we could have this water baptism. Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And is this baptism that Jesus is talking about is the baptism of this whole life that he's lived, but especially this final week of his life where he is going to be tortured and he is going to be killed. He is going to go into this darkness. And so today we're going to look at what this darkness was that Jesus went into. And then we're going to look at two reasons why Jesus went through it. And the darkness that Jesus faced in his last days, we see it began when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there it says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I'm sure you've all been in some kind of exercise, or maybe you're trying to lift something, and you use all of your might, and you, you, know, you grit your teeth, and you hold your breath, and you try to bring up that, that strength within you. But in it, you can feel all the tension growing inside of your body. Or maybe you've been in a situation where there was something that happened, and it caused you so much internal pain, and that you began to cry. And all of us have been in certain situations where we have sweat because we've worked hard or because it's hot. Well, what Jesus did in this time was that he was bearing all of the sins of the world upon himself. He knew that he was going to become for us a sacrifice. And he knew that that was going to cost a terrible price for him. And so he began to sweat in the heat of his anguish. But it was so intense and so powerful that he sweat drops of blood. And um, this is actually a condition that can happen. It's called hematidrosis. And it's bloody sweat that can happen because of emotional stress that can happen within a person. So that the sweat glands actually break in the process of this anguish and blood is mixed with the water. And Jesus experienced this kind of mixing of blood and sweat. And Jesus continued to go into this darkness as he got out and he stood up and he went into be with his disciples after he had left the garden. 
And there, it was he, a time where his enemies came and arrested him. In Matthew 26, 47, the Bible says, While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve arrived with him. Was a, there was a large crowd with him with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And so Jesus was arrested, not by police per se, but by the religious police. He was arrested by a group of people who were sent by the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was a group of people that were sort of the legalists of their day. They were like the lawyers of their day. They were to bring justice to the people of Israel or to the Jews. And they were made up of chief priests and elders. And it was these people who had determined that they wanted to have Jesus dead. And so they put up this fake trial where they brought false testimony in from people who would lie about what Jesus said, but they had already made up their minds. They had already made up their minds that they were going to not only arrest Jesus, but that they were going to have him killed by the Roman authorities. But in all of their anger, in all that they wanted to do to Jesus during this kangaroo court, that they were going to do what they can to show their hatred towards the Lord. And so in Matthew 26, verses 66 and 67, we see these words that the Sanhedrin people say. They say, he is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face. They struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? And so Jesus has already begun to experience the physical pain caused by other people's hitting, spitting, and saying things to him that were insulting, that were demeaning. They were like cursing God directly to his face. And after that, they took Jesus to the Roman authorities. And the Roman authority, represented by Pilate, decided that he would allow Jesus to be crucified. The Bible says it very simply when it says, Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. To be flogged meant that Jesus would be hit with a whip. It was a short whip. And this whip would have thongs or leather straps on it. And at the end of these leather straps would be lead balls. And they hit Jesus over and over and over again. That is what the scourging is. That is what they did to have Jesus flogged. A physician in Arizona, a Christian, was thinking about what Jesus went through. And he thought to himself, you know, I've been a Christian for years but I've never, even as a doctor, considered the pain that Jesus went through. And so he went back through the biblical accounts. And he learned from history what was happening to Jesus. As we said, he was being hit by this short whip with lead balls on the ends of these leather straps. And Dr. C. Truman Davis wrote a paper. And it's actually been published in um, a couple of medical journals. And it's called The Medical Account of Christ's Death. And there he says, at first, the thongs cut through the skin only. Then as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, 
inflammatory spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. And Jesus went through this because he was bearing our sins, and he was bearing our sufferings for us so that we could have the forgiveness that God would give to us. But this was only the beginning of what was going to be the crucifixion. And so Jesus was taken, and he was made to carry a portion of the cross. It was the cross beam. And he was made to carry it across Jerusalem. And then he was taken to a hill. And he was put up on this hill on a cross, and he was nailed to the wood. And I think we're all very familiar with that. But then Dr. Truman continued to consider what Jesus went through after he had been nailed to the cross and what it was like for him to be able to continue to breathe or to continue to speak as he spoke from the cross. His first words from the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And to be able to speak, he would have to raise himself up so that his lungs could have air. And Dr. Truman says this, about what Jesus went through while he was there up on the cross. It says, as he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist, excruciating pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails of the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves as he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment. He places his full weight on the nail through his feet Again, there is searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves. And so this is the type of pain that our Lord went through. And Dr. Truman calls it an excruciating pain. The word excruciating is actually a Latin word. It's made up of two words, ex, of course, and then cruciere. Ex means out of, and cruciere means the cross. And so literally excruciating means out of the cross. And so when we say that we're going through some sort of excruciating pain, we're proclaiming something that happened with Jesus, that he went through a pain on the cross. And he went through this for us. And even though he experienced all of this physical pain, and we could even say that other people on earth, because we know there were two thieves that were nailed on crosses next to him, and they went through the same type of pain. But there was a deeper pain that Jesus went through for you and for me. There was a pain that went through his whole being as God. Because these famous words from the cross that Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This was that pain, I believe, that Jesus talked about when he says, I have a baptism to be going through. That he would lose his relationship with his father for a time when he bore, our cross, bore on the cross our sins. And he experienced this darkness away from his father that was the most excruciating pain that he would ever known and that he ever will know. And so we want to know, why? Why would God do such a thing like this? Why would Jesus face such darkness? And I believe that there are at least two 
large reasons why Jesus did this. And the first one and the second one are based upon true attributes of both God and of Christ. And the first one is because of God's holiness. Because of God's absolute holiness. Now, a lot of times we like to think, well, Jesus died for us because he loves us. And that is true. But a lot of times that's more of a sentimental love. And as we come into this last week of Jesus' life, it's good for us and it's important for us to consider the pain that our Lord went through. And why would he go through such a pain? Jesus and God are holy. And because they are holy, they cannot endure having sin in their presence. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, the Bible talks about a scene in heaven where there are heavenly beings, what we might call angels, and they're all around God. And the Bible says, and they were calling to one another, and one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And God continues to proclaim his glory through the angels. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 4, 8, these same angels are said to be still saying, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That God is holy in heaven. And to remain holy, he could not be in the presence of any sin. In fact, what we see in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says of God, your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. And so God, in a sense, had a dilemma. We on earth, his creation, are people that he wanted to save. But each of them and each of us have sin. And because of that sin, we cannot go and be in the presence of God unless, unless someone pays the price for our sin and can de declare us not guilty. Unless someone could exchange their holiness and give it to us. And so God said he would send his son Jesus and Jesus would come and be that sacrifice of sin for you and for me. Jesus would come and he would take our sins on as he did in his baptism. And then we would be able to take on his life. Somebody had to pay for our sins. And even in the book of Isaiah, over 700 years before Jesus was born, we read these words, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all want healing from the wounds of our sins. But the Bible tells us that someone had to be crushed first. Someone had to be pierced first. Someone had to be punished first. And so Jesus took the punishment for your sins and for my sins. The Bible even says that because all of the sins of the world were transferred onto Jesus, that literally he became sin. And I believe it was at that moment that because he became sin, that his father not being able to have sin in his presence, 
somehow severed that relationship with Jesus as he bore our sins. And therefore Jesus said, God, God, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? This absolute demand for absolute holiness could only be satisfied by an absolute holy substitute. And Jesus did that. And then after he died, he had paid the price for our sins. And God could again look favorably upon his son, who was perfect, having been our sacrifice, having been our holiness now. Now Jesus is able to give to us his holiness. We read this in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. And there it says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And so what we see here, this word righteous can also be translated from the word holy. And so in Jesus' holiness, in Jesus' righteousness, now we can share in it for those who believe. This righteousness comes from God to believers. This righteousness comes to us through faith. This righteousness is not by obeying laws and by trying to be good. This righteousness comes from God's grace and God's favor and God's goodness. Because God paid for our sins. The Holy One took on our sins and forgave us. And that's why it's so important for us to understand the holiness of God, even before we understand the love of God. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 11 to 13. Would you read this verse out loud with me? Let's say it together. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. God had a people that he was going to save, a people that he would redeem, and he would do it with his unfailing love. But we see there that even his majestic holiness and gloriness is proclaimed prior to the love that is coming to us. It is because Jesus wanted to first satisfy all of the requirements of the law by dying for us as a holy and perfect sacrifice that we could be forgiven. And now he has this gift to give to us. And we see that he went through this darkness, not just because of God's absolute holiness, but also because of God's sacrificial love. Yes, God does love you. Yes, God does love us. He loves every single one of us, and that's why Jesus died. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, would you read this verse with me? Let's say it together. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, now love makes sense because Jesus came to be a sacrifice, a holy sacrifice. He is perfect. He didn't deserve to die, but he took on the death we deserved. He took on the punishment we deserved so that he could fulfill the requirements of holiness and give to us his love. Jesus knew this was coming. 
In John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus wants us to be his friends. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to know the love that God has for us. And so for that, he went through the agony of the cross. He went through everything that happened in his life that was suffering for you and for me. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 and 51, let's read this together. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. After Jesus had given up his spirit on the cross, he said, it is finished. And when it was finished, this is what happened. There was an earthquake, a violent earthquake. And in that earthquake, the temple shook. And in the temple, there was a very sacred room called the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place. And in front of the Most Holy Place within the temple was another room called the Holy Place. And God had put a curtain there between the two rooms. And every day, the priest would have to come into the first room and give sacrifices for the people. But only once a year could the high priest go behind that curtain into the most holy place. It was on the Day of Atonement. It was the day when the sins of the people would be forgiven. It was a day when they would be able to be washed again of their sins and be cleansed and forgiven. But they would sin again. And so day after day and year after year, sacrifices would have to be made. But when the earthquake happened, when Jesus died after he had shed his blood, it was as if Jesus had been sacrificed on the altar in the most holy place. And the temple's curtain now was split in two so that we don't need a human high priest to go in there for us and make sacrifices for our sins. But we have Jesus Christ, the high priest of God, who paid for all of our sins because of God's holiness, because of God's love. And now the curtain is gone. And it means that you and I have access, direct access to God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, the author of Hebrews talks about what happened when the curtain was torn, when Jesus died on the cross. And there it says, therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that used to be the place that only the high priest could go once a year, but now we can even have confidence to enter that place by the blood of Jesus. And so the sacrifice of Jesus in the most holy place makes it possible for us to go through. And then it says in verse 20, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And so the curtain was his body. And when his body was broken, the curtain was torn. When his blood was shed, the final sacrifice for our sins was given in the most holy place. And God is inviting us in. God is inviting us to go be inside the curtain. 
and to go into the presence of God. As the author of Hebrews continues in chapter 10, verse 22 and 23, he says to us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And so because Jesus died, we can go near to God and he says that we can have our bodies, we can know our bodies have been washed with pure water. The author is alluding to baptism. And that the baptism that we saw here today is a picture of the same baptism that Jesus went through. That we died and that we rose again. That we were dead to sin and that we are now alive in Christ. And the author of Hebrews tells us that there are five things that you and I can have because of what Jesus has done out of being a holy sacrifice for us and out of also being a loving sacrifice for us. And the first one that we see at the very beginning of verse 22 is we can draw near to God. Every one of us here can draw near to God. It's like what Nat said, is that as she began to learn more about Jesus, she kept drawing nearer to God, asking questions, learning about the Savior, until a place in her heart opened up in faith where she received him. And each one of us can continue from that point, even as a long-time believer. We can continue to draw near to God. And how can we draw near to God? But secondly, we can draw near to God with full assurance of faith. We can bring our doubts to God. And we can ask him for this faith that gives us the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of our forgiveness, the assurance of his victory on the cross, the assurance of his love. And we have to receive that by faith. We have to choose to believe that what God says is true. But we can have that faith. And we can express that faith. And then thirdly, we express it because we know that our sins and our guilt is cleansed. I don't know what you may be feeling guilty for right now. But I'll let you think about it. Is there anything that you're feeling guilty about? It is forgiven. If it is brought to Jesus. It is forgiven. If it is brought to God. And you don't need to feel guilty. You can be cleansed. And just as this is a picture of baptism. One time. As they go into the water and come out one time. But at the same time for all believers. We are to continue to live out that baptism. As the author says. Because we've been washed with pure water. And we continue to walk in purity in the Lord. When we mess up, we can go back and confess our sins. And know that we'll be cleansed. And we can have full assurance of faith that God is still near us. This is our hope, says the author of Hebrews. It is a hope that we can hold on to unswervingly. It means that we have a hope that is lasting. A hope that doesn't have to go away. A hope that isn't dependent upon circumstances because it's dependent upon the fact that God loves us and that he sent his son to die for us and that he paid for our sins, rose from the dead and proved that he had the power over death and sin. 
It is a hope that is lasting. And God is faithful. As it says in the end there at verse 23, he who promised is faithful. God is faithful in all of his promises that we can draw near to him. He is faithful that he will never leave us or forsake us. And therefore, we can have full assurance of faith. He is faithful that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is faithful to promise us a hope when we feel hopeless. He is faithful to give us a hope when we feel that we're about to give up. He is faithful to give us a hope because he is alive in Christ. God is faithful. And he loves you. And he sent his son to show that love as a holy sacrifice for all of our sins and as one who would show an ongoing relationship with us in love. This might be new to some of you. And if it is, I think the best way you can follow up is to continue to do what Nat did, to continue to pursue, continue to seek, continue to ask questions. And if you can, come to church next Sunday as we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus and understand even more about the power of God to give us salvation and to give us forgiveness and to bring us into a full relationship with him. And for those of us who have this relationship with God already, let today be a reminder that we are called to draw near to God and that it's possible because of all that Jesus has done for us on the cross. Let us pray.